Hello and welcome to Box to Box Stoppage Time. You're with Rob Gilbert, Michael Edgley and Derek Dyson for our podcast where we go through our highlights of the week, our teams and moments of the week and plenty more. Sometimes we have to dig a, a little deep, but at this busy Christmas New Year time of football, there's plenty to choose from. Um, so look, why don't, Derek, I, I might come to you first um, uh, before we we have a yarn with Edge about um, your game of the week because that, that, that uh, one was a fascinating game. Thanks, Rob. Yeah, I've gone for Manchester City and Crystal Palace. So it, it was just, a, you know, this is not the sort of game where, where City drop points. But I, I think now, after this two-all draw, I think they've now won one of the last six games. And they're obviously off now to the to the Club World Cup and they'll have a little break from Premier League football. And I think that'll probably do them some good because they're leaving with some pretty miserable form. This is their third consecutive uh draw at home and that leaves them now in fourth uh fourth position now and uh you know they were two nil up as well so it was you know this two will draw um that will really sting for them I often say in draws it really depends how you draw if you come back to draw you feel great and if you throw away a two goal lead you just don't expect it from this man city side that They've gone to to nil up. Jack Grealish has scored. Rico Lewis, one of their sort of young prodigies, um, in midfield has scored. And you're just thinking, Crystal Palace, who are firmly in the middle of the table, firmly not going anywhere, not great on the road, absolutely cruising until uh, Jean Philippe uh, Mateta pulled a goal back with 14 minutes to go. And even at that point, you're thinking, oh, that's okay. You know, <laughs> they've conceded the odd goal, but they'll see it up, uh, see it from here because. Uh, uh, it was a, a kind of a clear penalty, really. Phil Foden took out Mateta. The referee, Paul Portini, had no doubt. And it was one of the young bucks there. Michael Elise, who's a, a super player, scored one of the goals of the season a few rounds ago. He was cool as a cucumber, sliding past Edison. Um, wild celebrations in the in the uh, the away end. And Palace, when Palace were not in form either, they've only won one of their past uh, 10 games. They they uh, only lost out to Liverpool, of course, last week with a stoppage time goal. But, you know, they celebrated like it was a victory. But, you know, my main point now is, you know, by the time City come back from this uh, World Club Cup and they could be the world champions, and fair enough, if, if they do, usually the European team does go into that as the heavy favourites and it will be the first time that they will have attempted uh, winning winning this trophy. But they could be 10 points back for the time for the time they come back and that starts looking like a lot of ground and as we said in the main show it's a cluttered top of the table I think the, the top will change hands a few times now I don't expect any team to street clear it will just depend on the fixtures and no more important in this next game between Liverpool and Arsenal in terms of who will go in uh, to the top at Christmas if it, they draw then Villa win they could be going into top at Christmas and what an amazing thing that would be but we see this from Manchester City. I mean, they, they aim for perfection. They often get quite close to it. And then you just have these odd seasons where they uh, where, where they just start stutter. And maybe it's just the classic Alexander the Great, you know, crying the salt tears because there's no world left to conquer and the demotivation uh, factor of where, where do you go from here or whether the opposition have just sort of managed to ratchet it up or two. But this is rare pressure that Guardiola is under. Have plenty of time to think about it on a, the next few games, and they are going to have to come back firing. They're going to have to put a run of games together, win, 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 because otherwise they're going to get left behind in this title race. 
Yeah, no, good analysis, mate. And uh, we've made some analogies on this uh, the show over the the journey, but I don't know that Alexander the Great has managed to to show himself up, but perfectly contextual, and uh, and I like it. Now we talk uh, about okay. him all the time, Rob. It's, it's, it's Heidelberg United, Alexander. Ah, no, I, I thought you were going to. I, I thought you were going to talk about my 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 own son, Alexander the well, Great. Too. So yes, I guess we do. There you go. We we talk about all the Alexanders here. But look, Ed, speaking of that Club World Cup. Um, um, uh, you you plucked out your game of the week um, uh, from the quarterfinals uh, of of that tournament. Yes, the um, African champions from Egypt, Al Ali, played Al Ittihad. Now, Al Ittihad, they're not the Asian champions. That's Ura Red Diamonds. Al Ittihad are the Saudi champions, and they are in the tournament by um, the fact that they're the host nations. So, but Al Ittihad are star studded. Uh, they've got all the superstars in their team, and despite that, the um, the Egypt and African champions put them to the sword, Rob, in no uh, in no uh, means. It was just a fantastic performance by the Egyptians who were all over El Etihad like a rash. They won the game 3-1. Uh, they got away uh, in the 20th minute with a, uh, a strike um, that got them in got them in front. That was by uh, Ali Mahul uh, from the penalty spot. Uh, but the big drama came... Um, after a period where El Etihad got on top um, and they won a penalty and their big money man, Kareem Benzema, uh, stood up to the penalty spot and fluffed it. It was a good save from the Al Ali goalkeeper, but um, that actually turned the game. And then in the second half, it was all Al Ali. They got a goal in the 59th minute from Hussein Al Shahat. And Imam Usar in the 62nd minute won the game for them by taking them to a three-goal to nil lead. Let's listen to how that played out. Karabakh. Can he finish it? Tight angle. Carabao the pullback, and it is finished. Al Shahor makes it 3 0. And that is a pretty impressive win by the Egyptians. They'll go on now. Um, they'll play in the semi finals. We're recording this before the game. So uh, when listeners hear this, you'll probably know the result, but they're going to be playing the Copa Libertadores champions at a Brazil uh, Fluminense in a big, big match for African football, Rob. Yep, they're right in the crest of the North African football wave uh, mm-hmm. uh, established by Morocco at the FIFA World Cup in Qatar and now the Egyptians, hey. Al-Ali, well and surely keeping it on, on track. Ed, can I just ask quickly, and everyone wants us to keep it tight, but I'm, I'm fascinated about, you know, the Saudi team coming in and obviously they've bought, they've bought, they've spent a lot of money. A lot of the teams have spent a lot of money. We always think about the objective for them is to be competitive on a global stage. Can they match the, the European sides in terms of the players and the financial buying power. But um, obviously they've, they've, they've been shown how to do things by, by their local rivals and neighbours in Egypt. And maybe is that a sign that despite all the signings and Benzema, et cetera, there's still a long way to go for them even to be competitive at this level, never mind try and take it up a notch to the kind of Latin American and then eventually the, the European standard of football. This would be a bit of a wake-up call, wouldn't it? Yeah, I, I think it certainly is. You know, it's, it's absolutely a wake-up call for them. But money doesn't buy success. You know, what what generally comes around is good systems, good uh, foundations, good youth development structures, and so forth. And Egyptian football is not to be laughed at. They're African superpower. They Egypt at the underage levels in African football, they win um, African cups regularly. You know, and uh, Al Ali is a big club, and they've got you know six of the Egyptian starting eleven national team and. They got the job done. And it was, if you get a chance to watch the highlights, it was a real shellacking too. 
And uh, I did watch those highlights when you when you sent them over to us as well. And uh, I mean to put the the full stop on this um, when uh, Egypt's greatest player is uh, in the conversation to be one of the greatest ever players at the world's greatest football club. Then uh, um, then your point is very well made. He's special, Mo Salah. Yes. Okay, now game of the week at home. Um, I'm Couldn't talking score about... against Man U on the weekend there, Rob. Thanks, Edge. Yeah, just edit that out, Adam. Uh, the game <laughs> of the week for me, uh, it was the Big Blue um, for a number of different reasons. Um, a brilliant stop by Paul. is an excellent goalkeeping performance by him. Maybe he should be in the conversation. I know we talked about Matty Ryan uh, uh, in the main show, but uh, the performance that he put on against Sydney FC was uh, uh, to be watched. He denied Jake Goodwood-Reich his first ever A-League men's goal 12 minutes in. But Daniel Arzani, a beautiful collection of, of from a free kick, Bruno Fornaroli just took the opportunity, saw him in space from a free kick, put it on the tip of his boot, and he just weaved his way through. It was a lovely goal. And then uh, Fornaroli himself uh, put the finishing touches on, on the win. Zinedine Zizou Mashash, I mean, how good is he? He might not be uh, the, uh, the the quality or the pedigree of, uh, of his namesake, but he is really finding his way. Scored as well in, in that match, uh, assisted Fornaroli's uh, sealer. Uh, Tony Popovich is really g- getting this victory side jumping after the catastrophe that was last year. So not not the, the crowds of the heady days of the Big Blue, but 14,000 at Amy Park made a lot of noise. And you only need 10,000 in that stadium. I've been there for hundreds of games of, uh, of, uh, of A-League matches, uh, uh, World Cup matches, in the women's uh, event uh, earlier this year, NRL, Rugby Union, etc. So uh, 14,000 makes a great atmosphere and uh, uh, the the fact that it's just building momentum and the atmosphere was uh, was just what we're expecting from these marquee domestic matches. I know we complain about the smaller crowds with some of the the, uh, uh, the expansion sides in the competition, but the, that's the kind of game that, that we want to see and uh, and still uh, a lot of work for Ufuk Tale to, to get Sydney FC firing, but uh, that was... Definitely my game of the week. A, a good uplifting story from uh, uh, an Australian uh, point of view for, for me. Uh, now, Derek, um, you've gone obscure uh, for your team of the week. Um, please explain. I wouldn't say this is obscure at all, at all, Rob. I'm talking about a team that will be in the pot for the last 16 of the Champions League, which by the time I think this podcast goes to air, we might even know who they're playing and that's um fc copenhagen and we spoke a lot in the main show about manchester united and obviously they crashed out of europe and that's uh because of fc copenhagen now this group had Bayern munich manchester united galatasaray who i think are always interesting in the champions league because of particularly because of that that away leg that you have to go to istanbul and there's absolutely no way that the power brokers and the in in UEFA thought that FC Copenhagen um, we're going to get through this group but they're not meant to get through this group it's not part of the financial model for Copenhagen to get through this group but um, they did uh, you've got to recall that they beat Manchester United in an amazing game 4-3 at home and they, they beat Galatasaray in, in the final round last week to um, make sure that they, that they qualified second behind Bayern Munich and Galatasaray, of course, take the Europa League spot and Manchester United will be playing no European football, which is a very um, a very uh, unusual thing for them. So I just wanted to sort of throw some light on a league we don't talk about, a country we don't talk about very much, Denmark. Uh, it's not a star-studded team. There's no big-name manager there. 
they're just a, a you know a classic kind of Scandinavian outfit, well organised, good domestic players, an amazing home atmosphere. Anyone that saw the crowd, uh, the crowd uh, there at Copenhagen, and some of the outfits that they that they wear uh, in unison, it's um, quite quite the sight. Um, they're third, incidentally, in the Danish league, where they're up there with uh, Bromby and Michelin's. They're, they're they're sort of perennial rivals, well in touch um, with the uh, with them as they go into a break, and they will not return now till February. So I'm um, sure Jurgen Klopp and Liverpool would love a, love that scenario where Liverpool could go away and have a two month break. That's what Mich- that's what uh, Copenhagen going to do, and they can put their feet up and. Look forward to that Champions League draw where they may get Manchester City, they may get Arsenal. They, you know, there's some some great fixes there. And I'll tell you what, I don't know if I'd be that happy playing against them. Uh, I think they're a, a cracking team, Rob. Yeah, no, well, there you go. I might have said obscure, but you laid out your analysis brilliantly and uh, hopefully um, they they make a, a bit of a run through the sharp end of the tournament. Um, the Danish have a wonderful football pedigree, as we all know, for, I think it was the 1991 World Cup, uh, European Cup, where they, uh, they, they stepped in for Yugoslavia and won the whole thing. Now, Edge... Uh, Sean Dyche uh, made a triumphal return to Turf Moor. He got a, a standing ovation from the denizens of that stadium. I don't think they were as happy with him at the end after Everton uh, took the points. How well are they going after? Maybe they should start 10 points behind every season. Well, that's right. If it wouldn't be for the 10-point deduction, they'd be actually in 10th spot on the Premier League table. And you would have thought after last season and the season before that would have been some achievement to Herald, um, they've actually won seven of their last nine matches in all competitions, including, um, you know, with the backdrop of the points deduction behind them. Um, and that included um, home wins over Chelsea and Newcastle and an away win at West Ham. Uh, they seem this points deduction has seemed to galvanise um, the playing group, but also the fans. And the fans in the playing group seem to be in harmony they seem to be in sync with each other Mm. and they seem to be providing the middle finger to the administration at the premier Mm. league and all the other clubs who are beating up on them so um they're still alive in the league they've got a match against uh, fulham in the quarterfinal of the league cup um uh, coming up uh, shortly on december 20 and also they play crystal palace albeit away from home in the fa cup third round so they're alive in all competitions um I've got to say that I didn't expect this would happen, especially after the bad news of the points deduction. Mm. And and the last two seasons for Everton have been rubbish. They've been really mm. bad. They've mm. copped enormous criticisms. They keep uh, internally the club keeps telling everyone they're a big club, but I think we're seeing the real Everton stand up now. Uh, mm-hmm. They're a club that traditionally um, punches above their weight. They've got a they, when they move into their new stadium, it will be the best stadium in Europe. And and that was announced this past week that they're not moving um, until 2025 now. They decided the club management probably wisely for all all of the logistical reasons around it uh, uh, that they don't want to do it mid-season. So they're going to play one more full season at Goodison Park. Which uh, is a good decision. But um, Mm. Derek, the Toffees, they're made of tough stuff and you've got to um, recognise the significance of uh, backs against the wall job they're doing at the moment. Yeah, absolutely, and they 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 didn't start the season well either. And I think a lot of the uh, the early talk uh, was was around Sean Dyche's role. I definitely feel like I came on and said Liverpool, uh, sorry, Everton didn't as much stay up um, last season as three teams went down, and Everton just happened to be a point or so above them. And I wasn't that impressed. But 
the more I hear hear from him in his press conferences and his post match interviews, I think he's really I think he's a great communicator. I can see him really galvanizing um the team. Uh, he's got a no nonsense attitude. You know, he sets them up to play a certain style. They play five at the back and then another four um sitting in front of them and they asked Dominic Calvert Lewin to to play that um lone striker role and the likes of uh Dekure and Anana try and get forward the best they can. And of course Anana was one of the the goal scorer. So it's, it's very pragmatic football, but you know, when you compare it to say Burnley who play probably better quality football, but they just can't get a point anywhere. Um Everton have been magnificent on the way home. They set up a really nice tight structure, the great on the counter attack. So, you know, I'm I'm glad. I'm really pleased for them. As you said, they've already wiped out those ten points. They're now back where they were and they should be thinking about motoring up the table now. There's big games coming up against uh, in the league anyway, Tottenham and Manchester City. They might get Man City at the right time, Rob. I think you're just rubbing it in because everything going well and and uh, they're the competitors to Liverpool in uh, in uh, in. We don't talk about them enough, and I no, we don't, we don't. But you're you're both certainly making up for it uh, this week. Okay, now my team of the week. um, I didn't think I I ever think I would have ever thought to to bring them up, but uh, Hearts in the Scottish Premiership. Now, when we began this segment, they would have probably been one of the the last teams that I would have selected. But if you're the first side to beat Celtic at Parkhead. Uh, their first back-to-back defeats in a decade, and with Socceroos, Kai Rolls and Nathaniel Atkinson in the starting eleven, plus it being Hearts' first league win at Celtic Park in 16 years. They've got my nomination now. Celtic's defeat on the back of last week's loss at Kilmarnock leaves the defending champions five points ahead of Rangers still, but their Glasgow rivals have two games in hand, but they do have an old firm dummy coming up. It was March 2013 when they lost consecutively, last loss consecutive league games against Motherwell and Ross County. So Hearts with the Aussie representation doing well, just fine tuning our boys ahead of the Asian Cup. Well done to them third on the Scottish Premiership. Now, I'm going to roll directly into my um, my hot topic. Uh, uh, now, uh, with apologies to what was a, a disgusting story in the past week that uh, uh, I don't know that we could have added any more to it uh, when uh, the... Um, the president uh, of uh, the the Turkish uh, club uh, um, Ankara, uh, Frank Cocker, well uh, appropriately named, straight out of the field and punched the referee Halil Umut Mela in the face. Uh, so anyone who wants to know more about that story um, just has to jump online. You, you've seen it all. I want to go with a far more positive one, which is that Premier League history is going to be made on the 23rd of December when Rebecca Welsh becomes the first ever woman to referee a top-flight match. The 40-year-old will take charge against Fulham, against Burnley, during Fulham against Burnley, I should say, at Craven Cottage. She's refereed some huge matches before, including the 2023 Women's World Cup, the Women's Champions League, and the Men's FA Cup tie. Uh, Howard Webb, who is the head of the refereeing at, uh, at PGMOL, the Football League's refereeing board, said this is a pivotal moment for Rebecca. I don't know that it's just a pivotal moment for Rebecca. I think it's a pivotal moment for international football uh, that uh, that we're seeing a, a female take uh, uh, the, the whistle in, in a top flight game in the Premier League. So, Absolutely, uh, Rob. We should celebrate that as much as we celebrate that the Matildas sold 25,000 tickets to their match at the Olympic qualifier against uh, Uzbekistan in three yeah. hours. Yeah, no, uh, exactly. Earlier we'll on Monday. So, well, beautiful yeah, segue. You, you take they over. Could have, they could have, um, the Matildas, Rob, they could have played at the MCG if it hadn't been for cricket. Mm. 
Yeah, no, they could have. They could have. Um, it's. Uh, uh, you love yeah. football at MCG. I hate it, but you love it. No, no. Oh, look, I think they should have played it there anyway, but that's another conversation for another day. We are running out of time, Michael. Give us your hot topic. Give uh... My hot topic is John Texter. Um, do you know who John Texter is, Rob? Of course I know who John Texter is. He's the As bloke you who Google it. Well, he's about. the American um, entrepreneur who's made all his money out of um, um, movie technology, animation, um, and some streaming services that he invested wisely in uh, well he's probably thinking that the world of silicon valley and animated movie theaters movie uh, technology is a lot smoother than um, the four football clubs that he's invested heavily in over the last uh, three years he spent a billion us dollars this fellow um he started off with a minority stake in premier league outfit crystal palace um, he then um, bought a team molenbeek in belgium he bought Botafogo in Brazil, and he finally bought Olympic Lyonnais in France, all within the space of 24 months. He, he just dropped a billion US dollars, as you do when you're a, a multi-billionaire like he is. He's 58 years of age, um, but he's had a few challenges, Rob. The poor bloke, he's had match-fixing match allegations in Brazil, which are ongoing. In fact, Botafogo, who we remember won the... Copa Libertadores uh, of recent times. So he's had some success there, but he's still fighting the Brazilian FA in court over what he considers to be match-fixing uh, accusations uh, that stopped him from winning the title the year before. Um, he's got a relegation battle in England with Crystal Palace. Uh, I mean, that's obvious. We talk about uh, the Premier League. All. He's got um, Olympic Lyonnais running a hooliganism in France. His um, team bus was like looked like it was something out of the Gaza Strip after they went down to Marseille. And Botafogo, uh, last season, they were 14 points clear and they lost the last 11 games to finish fifth. And that's where he's got this uh, court case against the FA in Brazil. He's saying that uh, matches were fixed and referees were involved in that. And he's actually asking for those six games still to be replayed, the last six games. Anyway, um, so this guy... Um, I mean, why would you do this at 58 years of age? Why would you get yourself in all, all this sort of trouble? Um, Leon... Well, he's only halfway through his life. I mean, for you and I were about that age. So, um, I know, so. but Leon, he's, he bought them. They When he bought them, they were third on the table two years ago. They're now one point above the relegation zone after last weekend's game. Mm -hmm. At Leon, he's into his fourth coach since the since he bought the club. Michael, and I, Mrs, I think Mrs. we've heard enough about this bloke. No, the last point is Mr. Dembali, a former player at Lyon, said that the sporting side of the club was being run by people who don't understand football. So, um, John Texter, I just wonder how much of that one billion US dollars when he leaves football will be remaining. Yes, probably not a lot. Yeah, some of the topics in football that fascinate you are just they're fascinating to me. Um, they, they fascinate you. Does that make any sense? All right, let, let's get back on on topic. I know, I know, it's a lot of money. Um, it, uh, you, you could probably buy uh, several Western Uniteds, couldn't you, Derek, with a billion dollars? Um, uh, you've been um, you've been on the uh, um, the campaign trail. Happy that obviously Arsenal are doing well in the Premier League, but um, you know, it, clearly we know every time we talk about uh, the Gunners' success. Uh, it uh, it's contrasted by your disappointment with your um, with your Western United. So you you just must have been happy uh, that uh, Johnny Aloisi got that result in the in the family derby. Oh no, I'm very happy about the result. And you you trailed this earlier in 
stoppage time, Rob, is uh, talking about about attendances, and I'm going to be more getting the perspective of, of you fellas, really, because I don't feel like I'm properly qualified to comment on it. But what I what I what I want to talk about is the Western United's game at Amy Park. Um, I suppose it goes into the old saying of if a tree falls in the woods and there's no one is around, does it make a sound? Or you know, if Nathan Lyon takes 500 wickets for Australia and no one's in Optus Stadium, did did the wicket actually fall or didn't it? And I feel like that you know, going to Amy Park, there was you know no one in the ground to watch this game at all. I was absolutely you know shocked at how many of those green seats at Amy Park, which to be fair, we're used to seeing it. You know, you know that 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 ground is not full at the best of times. You were talking how lively it was for the big blue and the the 14,000 that made it in there, but 2,842 souls made it in for the Aloisi Derby. And, you know, it was a great game, as we all know, a, a last-minute winner for Western United, Josh Risden there getting the the, uh, the goal. Obviously, John Aloisi was sent off for two um, yellow cards. Um, but, you know, there was, no, there was no one there really to, 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 to celebrate in it, really. Um, you know, the record for Western United for the lowest wasn't this game. It was actually 990 people who managed to go to Amy Park a few years ago. Did any of you fellas know what the record is for the lowest A-League attendance in history? No, what is it, Derek? Please tell me. Uh, it's um, It was the game between Wellington Phoenix and the Raw at Leichhardt, and uh, 38 people turned up for... Uh, <laughs> For that game, on, are you sure that wasn't COVID and they were just counting the, uh, the officials at the game? I don't know, but I just went to have a look at the stats, and thirty-eight turned up to I, I, I turned think, up to that game. I think it um, might have been the case, but, <laughs> but, but no. But do you, you, you feel you, guilty at all, Derek, that you're a Western United fan and that you've not I wasn't there? The should have been should have should have been two two thousand eight hundred forty-three, shouldn't it? Because I it's... should have should have, should have been there. Hmm. Um, but I chose to watch it on TV. I've got my young family. I live out in Hillsville. Difficult to get down to the games at the, oh. at the best of times. But um, I just wonder, I was looking at a quote from the then Western United CEO who said that by playing at Amy Park, it, it, you know, they want as many fans from the West as possible to be able to access our brand uh, of football. And I just wonder whether anyone is accessing the brand of football at Western United. So, I, I've not come here to do a drive-by on, on Western United. I, I think it's more of a, a general comment on attendances in the A-League in general, but should should they really be playing at Amy Park? Is there any point in Western United playing at Amy Park? Should they be trying to establish themselves in the West? Should they be trying to improve that facility at Tarni? Because this doesn't seem to be the way to do it. It doesn't seem to be the, the way to grow the Western United fan base or the brand of football. At least the they CEO got more people at Amy Park than they get at Ballarat. They get about 500 people at Ballarat. Yeah, well, I'll, I'm playing in the Hillsville finals tomorrow night, and I reckon I'll get more people watching me tomorrow night at the uh, Hillsville High School uh, futsal centre. Uh, than, than certainly more than 38 that watched that Wellington Phoenix game. But yeah, look, it's just disappointing. I just, it's just a cloud. You, you just get so used to seeing those green seats, uh, Amy, don't you? Whether it's mm-hmm. Melbourne Rebels or whether it's, um, you know, uh, soccer or whether it's at times a rugby league or whatever, you just see uh, that those waving green seats that just almost normalized now 
because people yeah, just don't want to go in. Dips the uh, Western United. Yeah, well, they certainly are, and they, you know they've got they've got some titles. Yeah, like, like you're just talking about sucking the energy out of my enthusiasm for the big blue. Um, y- your point is well made, and you're right. Um, but we will need to um, to address this issue on another day, gentlemen, because we are running out of time. In fact, we've run out of time. All right. Now, um, I'm going to wish you both a merry Christmas. And I hope, uh, uh, and Adam as well, who is there with his, uh, he's just about to have another baby, Adam. Uh, he's got a beautiful little daughter and he's about to have a little, little, little boy coming up soon. So that is very exciting in the Adam Maloney household. So Adam, uh-huh. uh, um, congratulations to you and uh, uh, a wonderful festive season to you and your family as he nods and gives us the thumbs up. Michael, happy Christmas to you. Merry Christmas, Rob, um, and to you and Sandra and the family. I hope you have a wonderful Christmas day. I know you'll be uh, putting on some hell of a spread. And to you, Derek, out at the Hillsville Sanctuary, I hope you enjoy a wonderful um, Christmas morning with your young family. And uh, I'll be knocking a couple of Aperol spritzes in the tropical weather back uh, down my gullet, Rob, on Christmas nice. Eve. Looking forward to that. Yeah, excellent, man. I'll be at Carol's by candlelight uh, on Christmas Eve. And Derek, to you, mate. Merry Christmas. Happy, have a, have a wonderful uh, time with your beautiful little family. Yeah, thanks, everyone, for those wishes. And, uh, yeah, enjoy enjoy the football as well, guys. It's a, the best time of year right now. There's plenty of games and, you know, no work. So I can probably get up and watch a few of these games too, starting with that blockbuster at Anfield. So I'm looking forward to it. Absolutely. And to our listeners, thanks again for all of your support throughout the year. Uh, we've been going for eight years now, can you believe? Uh, we're about to head into our ninth uh, on, on this show, Box to Box. Thanks to our good friends at Chemist Warehouse and at Hoyts, Mario Tasconi and Richard Nefarakawa, my good friends uh, who, who originally supported this show, and our great mate Johnny Accardo from Hoyts and all the wonderful Hoyts uh, family who who make sure that we have the opportunity to, to put this show together uh, 420 episodes down the track. Uh, make sure that um, if you haven't, if you're looking for some listening to do, catch up on a few episodes of Offside. We're probably due for another one soon. Uh, Stoppage time, of course, this show and our main show. Make sure, please, that you, uh, if you get the chance, uh, subscribe, review, uh, leave us a nice, uh, lovely review. It always helps us uh, and would be a nice little treat for us in the new year and uh, enjoy any of our back catalogue throughout the the festive season and make sure you join us throughout the week as our podcast drop and we go from one end of the pitch to the other in the world game.